Welcome to The People's Show with Bick Nazar and Randeep Janda. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The People's Show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. As always, you can be part of the show as well. Chime in, 650-650. To the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Bick Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shamati, intern David Navarro as well running in the show, and of course you as well. And Randy Janda, who is the host of Hockey Night in Punjabi, and you see him on TV wearing the suits and all this sort of stuff, has actually never looked better than he has today. Oh, come on, man. I'm disgusted myself. I've never felt dirtier in my life. So, uh... Never. You're wearing the Manchester United jersey. We're not streaming today, but yeah. unfortunately a picture will be taken. But if you could see me right now. We'll post it online, at Bick Nazar, at Randy Janda. Horrendous kit. I am not happy. I've got a frown on my face. Never looked better. But this is this is why, like I said, from day one, if I lose the bet, I'm wearing this thing. And yeah. Bick, John brought it in today. Not only is it a Manchester United jersey, it's a Wayne Rooney jersey. Double whammy. And you know what even sucks even more? Arsenal is playing right now yeah. in the Europa League. And Thursday I'm football, a, baby. I'm wearing a United kit. Rough look. But what did I say? Agenda always pays debts. <laughs> What's going on? You and the Lannisters. That's right. Always paying your debts. Yeah, you look sharp, man. Uh, how was Abbotsford? It was good. Always great to go to Abbotsford for a, a hockey game. A nice pregame meal at Gian's as well. Shouts to the, uh, the ones that know. Got to get out there. <laughs> It just—it was good to be in that building last night. Obviously, calling the game with Batch last night was fun, but you got a little bit of everything. You got Elias Pedersen putting on a show, not only offensively, but that 200-foot game. Connor McDavid, if you have not seen him in person, just so much so much to see, first of all. But in a smaller rink where you feel like you're, you're right there, almost that much closer to the ice, it was a special, special moment to see him on that ice. It's so raw, so powerful. You can just see someone decide, hey, you know what I want to do? Take over a game for a second here. And sometimes four other people, five other people, there's nothing you can do. It, it was sublime to watch that goal. Yeah, and the way – I understand Quinn Hughes had been on the ice for a while. Sure. But still, it's still Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. And the way he blows past Quinn Hughes, there's a lot of, a lot of um, anti-Oilers – Sentiments in this market, of naturally, course, yeah. it's a rival. But I think there was an appreciation yesterday where you're saying, holy smokes, this guy, at any given moment, in any given game, when he decides he wants to do something, he can do it. And he did it there, even on the Hamlin goal. Like, it's all him. It's all him. Poor Tucker Pullman has no chance. On top of that, though, just an entertaining game. Not maybe the most polished game we've seen. Sure. Nine goals implies there's some mistakes made, but it was an entertaining game for everybody that paid the ticket. And uh, you, you can enjoy the McDavid game or the, the goal for a little bit because it's a preseason game. Didn't count in the standings. Didn't count for two points. It's just a cool highlight. That's it. And yeah, Quinn Hughes got burned, 
Uh, at least it happened in preseason. Now learn from it and adapt to it. It had no implications on the standings. You know what happens in a week? The exact same matchup yeah. for real, though. Yeah. One of 82, the first of 82. But there were some learnings, though, right? There were some learnings about the forward group. There were some learnings about the defensive unit. But you're right. Next week is when it you have to, hey, 5-4 is nice, but Edmonton didn't have that full roster. They took it, I would say, at like 70% when they felt like it. Next week, it's going to be for real. And you can guarantee, even though that wasn't for real, the fact that Nima Linen was throwing hits like that, the fact that Darnell Nurse was clotheslining dudes, they're going to be a tough out during the regular season, but that was a taste of what I think the Canucks should get used to in Pacific Division. It's going to be a nasty, nasty division this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were talking to Eric Stevens yesterday, and, you know, he kind of mentioned that the, you know, he, he covers the the Kings and longtime Ducks reporter as well. Um, but, you know, his feeling was that, like, the Pacific Division might be a bit more competitive than people realize. It's, it still might be the fourth best division in the league, but I, I think the disparity between the top team and the last team is going to be closer than people realize. We talked about this before, too. Like, are the the high-level teams in the NHL going to sink back a bit? Because the big story of the offseason was the bottom part of the league all improved. Yeah. Whether internally, like someone like Buffalo, Owen Power gets more minutes this year, obviously, and more games, so that's going to matter a great deal. Columbus improves. Uh, Ottawa, we know what they've done. That's all in the East, but you think here in the West, like, Anaheim, like John Klingberg, exception to the rule. Mason McTavish comes in. Uh, Winnipeg, are they just going to be a bit more solid? Vegas, are they going to be healthy? On, on, and on. And obviously here in Vancouver as well. Is the top team going to be at 107, 105-ish points? And what does that mean for the pack behind them? They they squeeze a bit higher too. And the Pacific, compared to other divisions, I think there's a clear Tier 1 in every other division where you're saying Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Tier 1. You look at the Metro, there's probably a couple of teams that could be in Tier 1 there. I think there's going to be some drop-off in the Metro as well. I'm not sure how I feel about Washington at this point. You know, have they really changed all that much? Or not really. But there is still going to be the Rangers, you expect them to be better this year. They've loaded up. Tier 1 in the Pacific, we all expect two teams, the Alberta teams, to be front and center. Vegas is the big wild card. But, like, the difference between Tier 1 and Tier 2 is not as stark as other divisions. There is probably some movement, upward mobility, if you are maybe an LA Kings or Vancouver to to creep into that top three. There's potential there. Will it happen? I don't know. I just don't feel like other divisions have that upward mobility. The Pacific still has that because you can, you can be confident in what Vegas is going to do, but do we know until Jack Eichel hits the ice with Mark Stone? Nope. Edmonton Oilers? Jack Campbell's the big question there. If he delivers, watch out. And Calgary... So much movement in that lineup. You're not really sure what to expect. You expect them to be good, but how good is the question? And they're more of a playoff-ready team. That's why they built up. They were a regular season team last year, the last couple of years. So I think the Pacific, there is some mobility there. There is an opportunity to the way that we see the division now. It could be a little different. It could be, you know, an LA or Vancouver is possible to move in. I just don't see that with some other divisions based on the way that they look. Uh, we may have undersold the headline, though, uh, Randy. What's that? They won last night. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> One and five in preseason. They're going streaking soon. 
uh, Friday. They got a chance against the Arizona Coyotes. Final tune-up. But they finally get a, a W. Uh, we'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux, who met with media earlier today. We'll bring that to you in just a bit here. Um, but they get a W. Uh, big step just to get some positivity as far as jumping into the season. I know we sit here and say, hey, like preseason, it doesn't really matter. But you don't have to do the, the hard reset of your your training camp in preseason to try to get in the mind frame. At least you're bouncing from something that's positive into the regular season. Yeah, last night, the way I look at it, it wasn't obviously no preseason game is a must win. We know yeah. that. But if you go with that roster against an Edmonton team that does have McDavid, however, there's a few other players that are rested, Confidence-wise, you're shot. You're saying, wait a second, we we came at near a opening night roster and you still end up losing that game and then you add that to the other games that you've lost. Confidence-wise, there's going to be a lot of questions asked, at least in this market. The noise gets a little bit louder. Bick, after five losses, there was conversations about, is this next one a must-win? Or, or is, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm not here for that conversation. It, it was way too early, but the noise is still the noise. Now, you go with a near opening night roster you get the job done you pick up the w and at least you're feeling good about yourself and now arizona we'll see what happens tomorrow night at rogers arena but you're in a situation where you're saying all right you want to be ramping up at the right time the final two games are the most important to me that's when the coaching staff is saying all right boys the vets bring it you might be going at 60 or 70 percent before now you're gonna you're gonna bring 100 percent last night elias Pettersson was going 100 percent from puck drop he was ready to go that opening shift Drilling Dylan Holloway, adding another hit, drawing a penalty. He was doing everything. So, to me, yesterday mattered because you wanted your vets playing a certain way. And you got that. You got that with Elias Pettersson, who is a veteran now. You got that with, you know, your other top six forwards. And your defenseman, Quinn Hughes, was looking good. You Even Tucker Pullman. I know that was a big conversation for us of what kind of player do you get in Tucker Pullman. As the preseason's gone on, he's gotten a little better. I thought his pairing with OEL yesterday was pretty good. And it does open up your mind to say, okay, if he can stay there, is there a potential for the the pairings to look a little different? So to me, yesterday and tomorrow night is all about, are the vets getting into that spot where they're comfortable, they look ready for the NHL regular season? And yesterday was a step in that direction. Bick Nazar, Randy Janda here on the People's Show. We want to get into a couple of roster battles, though. Uh, some players playing last night uh, versus some players who didn't play last night. Jack Rathbone and Kyle Burrows. Um, you know, I went into last night very much of the opinion that Jack Rathbone not playing was a tremendous thing. That that to me was a sign that, okay, you're going to be a play on Friday, and Friday's the real sit-down and everyone, like, this is the group, basically. And for me, yesterday was very much about Tucker Pullman and Kyle Burrows. Here's your audition chance. I, I linked it to the the movie Whiplash, where it's like, hey, the, the okay. whole band is set. We're just competing for this one drummer spot here. And that was Tucker Pullman and Kyle Burroughs yesterday. I'll be honest. I thought Kyle Burroughs was pretty impressive um, on the other side. You, you, you graded a bit differently, but him playing on the left side, I thought there was enough moments. I was like, okay, I was, the things I was worried about didn't really manifest as much. You were there, obviously. Yep. Uh, did Kyle Burroughs stand out to you? Yeah, I like this game. And I think that pairing at times looked a little questionable. And that was more on Tyler Myers' play. You know, he was he was kind of fighting it last night. As we now know, he's dealing with something. He's day-to-day currently. He was not at practice. So that might explain why maybe Tyler Myers did not look all that confident in his game. Now, Kyle Burroughs, I, I think this is a player that 
what do you have in Kyle, Kyle Burrows? The ability to play on both sides. He played on the left-hand side yesterday as well, or sorry, last year as well, and yesterday. And I think why coaches love him is why Vancouver Canucks fans like him. He just plays hard. He knows what he has to do in the league to be successful, right? The Luke Shen example of, do you know what you need to do? And I feel like with Kyle Burrows, he understands that his intensity, his aggressiveness on the defensive side of things is the reason he's going to stay in the lineup. And if you look at that, Nobody else in that battle, whether it's Christian Willannon, whether it's Jack Rathbone, can provide that. And most importantly, Kyle Burrows also gives you options on the penalty kill. He played there a fair bit last year, where Willannon, I still think he's a positive story, but he's still probably the first call-up of this team. And Jack Rathbone played two minutes total on the penalty kill last year in the games that he was up. So he doesn't play on the PK at all. So last night, I liked his game. It's... It's kind of what you expect from Kyle Burrows, but that's why coaches love him. They know that he's going to be a tough guy to play against, and if you need somebody on the PK, he can be one of those you know, four to six defensemen you can roll out and just cycle through. That's a big, I think, positive for him, especially now that Danny DeKaiser is no longer involved in this team and he's been released from his PTO. 650-650, you can always be part of the show as well uh, and chime in. Uh, this one... Uh... Oh, people are asking uh, the the roster that was ice yesterday. Uh, yeah, and, and some thoughts coming in of of uh, this one unsigned. Uh, Rathbone and Hoaglander have looked fantastic and look like their core pieces moving forward. Kuzmenko uh, looks like a seven million dollar player uh, player, and we have a big problem for the Canucks trying to resign. Uh, just on Kuzmenko again, flashed again. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, looks like he belongs, and we'll see how that translates into production in the regular season, but. As far as passing tests along the way, he's passed every single one. Yeah, he passed it against Seattle when he had that two-goal game where you wanted to see something from the player. You wanted to see how he would look on that power play. He did it there. And even yesterday, there was, a, there was one moment in the game yesterday, one of the early power plays. And the way that this team has worked mostly is Quinn Hughes, you're the puck handler. Zone entries on the power play, it's all you. Occasionally, Elias Pettersson. But there was a moment where Kuzmenko has the puck and you can tell the Edmonton Oilers are loading up in Quinn Hughes. They know that the puck is going to him. And there's a slight hesitation from Kuzmenko. But then he just raises his head and said, all right, you're going to give me the room. I'm going to go with it. The Vancouver Canucks, at certain points in their history, the last four or five years, zone entries have been a problem on the power play. And that moment to me, it, it was a very minor moment, but just a player confident to say, all right, you're going to give me the space. I'm going to take it. I will create this attack I will create the zone entry it doesn't have to be Quinn every single time especially if you're loading up that to me was a all right this guy's confident enough to say yeah we're going to deviate here you're giving me this I'm going to read it and I'm going to take that space so you know Bic, the production is is great and we've seen it throughout whenever he's played but little moments like that to say all right I'm going to be able to adapt on the fly and I'm confident enough to do so that's when I look at Kuzmenko and say this guy a, has a great pairing with Elias Pettersson. The cycle that they had in the game in the first period, I believe. Uh, sorry, the second period, where there were just you know, 30, 35 seconds of, of zone time. And it's just Pettersson and Kuzmenko. That's the duo. That's the duo with Pettersson right now. 650-650. Keep coming in with your thoughts. Any questions as well? Uh, we'll take them on the other side. Well, let's uh, hear from Bruce Boudreaux, though, who met with media today after practice and an update on Tyler Myers as well. Uh, here's what Bruce Boudreaux had to say. Well, either way, he's, um, he's very good. 
So, I mean, wherever we need, wherever we play, like, I mean, we've got uh, one extra left-handed D like out there today. So sometimes you can play right, sometimes you can play left. He plays so many minutes that he's, he, he plays with everybody in the end. So, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing this summer was we wanted to make him feel comfortable playing on the right side. If the situation arises, he can play on the right side without a problem, and he's comfortable with it. No Myers today? No, nope, no. Nope. He's, uh, he's got a little bit of a something, and, you know, we'll just uh, reevaluate uh, him tomorrow. Fair to say day-to-day then? Day-to-day. Uh, are you surprised how well Carlson and Allman have done, like how close they are clearly to getting yeah, I, I, I actually am because, you know, you didn't know anything about them, quite frankly, and and uh, um, they're not highly touted um, draft choices. So they've come in and they've uh, really done an admirable job. Is that a statement about the quality of the Swedish hockey league? Well, I, I've had a lot of good Swedes play for me, and uh, so I'm sure that league is pretty good. Who's that? He always says that. He says that. He says, I can do better. I can do better. There's, for him, there's no ceiling in that he, he is driven to be as good as he can be. And that's, that's rare in a lot of athletes. And, uh, uh, but he's got it. So that's great. I know there's lots of talk about the culture on the team when you have a 22-year-old who's wired that way. Does that help? the group? Does that help make your culture? Well, I mean, uh, a tough question, but I mean, if anybody wants to emulate that, it's, it's, it's a built-in desire of the way you're, you're made type thing. Um, Some guys are just happy to be here. Some guys want to be better than everybody in the league. And those are usually when you look at the stars, that's, that's who you got. Hey, I will say this. I heard last night, that uh, the doc said that Dowling wasn't uh, anywhere close, and that was a misquote because he's very close to being ready to play. So anybody was, I don't even know who you talked to, but I will say that, that Dowling uh, tomorrow or the next day will be clear to practice with us. What are you looking for tomorrow? Well, quite frankly, it's just you, you can't go backwards. We're trying to learn things and get ready, get ready for the next, uh, for the first opening night. So I mean, uh, like what I told them this morning was, winning is not a one-time thing. It's not an only-time thing. Winning and playing to win is an everyday thing. And when you get into that scenario where you want to win every night and everything you do, then it becomes a very difficult team to beat. Well, not yet, well, but I think Petey's pretty good. I thought he was he was in excellent leadership last night, and it, from the first shift, you knew the in- intensity that he was bringing, and I thought he was great all night long. All right. Uh, if you're listening live, uh, we got a couple of hiccups here. We'll figure it out on the other side, but that was Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, if you're listening on the stream and you still got us, uh, we appreciate that. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, but a couple of notes there from Bruce Boudreaux. Um, and I think on the tail end, you kind of heard it. Keep moving forward in postseason. That was kind of the point I was making. It's 
yesterday's game doesn't solve anything that's happened in preseason, but you want to go into the start of the season at least uh, on a positive note, so it's something to take away. And, and, and you ignore the bad, but you take the good with it. Sure. And, you know, I think come Friday night, come tomorrow night, you're going to be in a position, the team should be in a position where they are able to build on last night. There are some questions with this team, though. And one of the areas that I look at specifically moving forward here, Vic, and this is a question not only for one or two games. This is the the Canucks season. Defensively, how much do you tighten up? Is this team capable of tightening up? Because even yesterday, nine goals, entertaining, awesome time. It wasn't the tidiest of hockey, though, right? And this goes both ways. The Edmonton Oilers gave up two breakaways shorthanded to Bo Horvat on their own. Like, just one player. Now, the other side of things, you know, Spencer Martin did end up having, I wouldn't say a great night. Obviously, look at the shot totals. He lets in four goals. But it's not like he was helped very much. So, it's momentum. You carry it with you as you go here. But the question, not only for the final preseason game of the year and moving forward here is, can you tighten up defensively? Are they capable of that? Or is this going to be a team that's going to have to score three, four, five goals a night? And... I, that's the, the massive question here, right? We talked about, we heard about the systems changes and how do you make this team, you know, better defensively? Is that going to be a thing? Are they capable of that? Because in that last game, without a full strength Edmonton Oilers team, and I, I will give credit as well, JT Miller's not on that team. That's a big part of the team. You have to really move players around. Sheldon Dries is centering a line. But what do they look like defensively is going to be the biggest question this year for this team. Vic Nazar and Randy Bjanda here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, welcome back uh, for some of our live listeners. Uh, Dom, did you hit the wrong button? Uh, well, uh, intern David, huge Blue Jays fan. Oh. And for whatever reason, he didn't <laughs> like our programming, and he switched the programming to Jays. He made an executive choice. Yeah. I mean, it's a bold move from the intern. Yeah. Big move. Big move. Uh, no, it was, it was something a bit uh, deeper than that. But uh, Dom's fat thumbs. We... we we flipped the switch back. I didn't touch uh, anything. Okay. Yeah, no. uh, appreciate all the uh, texts coming in. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, all right. We'll uh, go to break. On the other side, uh, we will continue the conversation uh, about the Canucks last night. Get into a couple other things. Tom Brady made a few comments as well. That's all coming up on Sports Night 650 here. You're listening to The People Show. Welcome back to the show. The People Show, here on Sportsnet 650, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Bick Nazar, Randy Janna, 
broadcasting you from Kentucky. If you want to get involved, uh, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up just got easier for modern suit and tuck sales, fashionable menswear, and same-day rentals. Visit blackandlee.com. All right. So there's an article right up right now up at dailyfaceoff.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about player archetypes. They're going to be doing a series there. And detailing one of them was franchise players across the NHL right now. Franchise players. We, we get into that conversation, generational talents, all that sort of stuff. How many franchise players do you think there are in the NHL right now? And, and this is polling a couple of league execs as well. Across the league. How many franchise players do you think they are? Daily Faceoff came up with 17. I know we get into this conversation a lot. Like Quinn Hughes, yeah. franchise player. Elias Pettersson, franchise player. Thatcher Demko, franchise goalie. How many players actually are franchise players? There's the potential to be so, but what is the actual reality of guys that are confirmed to be franchise players? Okay, the number for me is about 15. So this list has 17. I'd go lower with 15 because when I think of franchise player, I'm talking about like legit stars, guys that can guide a franchise. They are option A on any team in the league. That's what a franchise player to me is. And this list that you mentioned, it's got the usuals, right? We saw Connor McDavid. He's on top of the list. Leon Dreisaitl's on the list as well. He's on any other team. He's a franchise player. Go through the list. It's the usuals. There's two names that stuck out to me, though, that I wouldn't put on my list. And that's why I say 15. Ilya Sorokin is on this list. I like Ilya Sorokin. I think he's a damn good goalie. I think he's played in a system that obviously benefits him. And maybe he doesn't get the credit that he deserves playing in that system. Is he a franchise player, though? Not in my books. Excellent goalie. And will be in Vesna consideration probably again this year. And he was last year. The other player on this list that I wouldn't put in there, Bick, Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Matthew Kachuk is number 11, if I'm not mistaken, on this list. Uh, 15. 15, sorry. 15. And Sasha Barkov is ready on this list. So they're, they're on the same team, but that doesn't matter. You know, we see it with Settle, We see it with McDavid. You can have two franchise players on a team. It's just the luck of the draw. Matthew Kachuk, even though he put up unbelievable numbers last year, has he proven to be the guy? Calgary didn't prove that they could win with him. They didn't. And he was not the only one that was a part of that conversation. Johnny Gaudreau was. But was part of that, to yep. me, Matthew Kachuk has not proven that he is beyond a point producer. Can he be the main you know, point? Can he be the main player on your team? I wouldn't put him in that group. Everything else on that list, if you have a chance to look at that list, it's the, the usual suspects. The Sidney Crosby's of the world, the Nikita Kucherov's. Vasilevsky, Hedman, three guys from Tampa Bay on their own. But I would go 15 from that list, but I'm taking off Kachuk. I'm taking off Sorokin because I don't think they deserve to be in that conversation. So here's the list, just really quickly. McDavid, Matthews, Makar, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Kaprizov, Shesterkin, Hedman, Barkov, Vasilevsky, Yossi, Kucherov, Kane, Crosby, Kachuk, Sorokin, Ovechkin. Uh, Again, it's part of a whole series that they're doing, but as far as franchise players right now, 
Uh, that is what is viewed across the league. Uh, NHL executives uh, help and identify those to Frank Saravelli uh, over at Daily Faceoff, who you can also hear on Canucks Central uh, and Halford and Bruff as well. And, and you think about it, like um, we always have this conversation, uh, and Izzy and I were having it yesterday about there's 32 first-line centers. That doesn't mean there's 32 first-line centers. Yeah. 32 people have to play first-line minutes for all the respective teams, but you go through it, and there just aren't enough bodies. And you think of franchise players right now across the league. Honestly, like 17 feels right. And I define franchise players by can you be the best player on a cup-winning team? Can you be the singular reason, or the primary reason at least, okay. why a team wins the Stanley Cup? And I come up with about, yeah, 18 to 19. Okay, so you go a little bit higher. I go a little bit lower because the two guys that I mentioned, Kachuk to me hasn't proven that. Mm -hmm. Like, all the skill in the world, an agitator at the best, plays physical, he's got that X factor, but can he be the best player on a team that wins the Stanley Cup? How about wins some rounds first? Mm -hmm. He hasn't done that yet, right? So I go lower on that. So I'm actually, I'm trimming that list rather than adding to it. If we're also including it, so I, I might be a bit more ready to anoint some people. Traditionally, yeah, we, we, we we raise to praise prospects, sure. sometimes too too quickly. But someone like Moritz Sider, who wasn't even in contention here. But do we not kind of see where this is going with, with a guy like him? Someone like Mero Heiskanen did not make the list. He was in the under-consideration list. I, I have both of those guys in my, that's a franchise player. With Haskin and I'm there with him. I think A playing in Dallas and B, he's been surrounded by other defensemen. So sometimes maybe that the biggest talking point in Dallas this past year was John Klingberg, what happens? It wasn't Miro Haskinen, who has been since his rookie year essentially playing at least twenty three minutes a game. Even as a rookie, he was eating minutes. So Haskinen, I'm willing to put on that list. So if anything, I can bump that number up to sixteen. Now, Moritz Sider, that's a prospect play to me. I'm not willing to put him there right now because I think there is an element of, all right, you got to show me something. You got to show me a little bit more. But if you talk about some of the other players on that list that maybe deserve to be there, you know, there's there's a guy like Jack Eichel that I look at and say, currently he's not on that list. But if we reassess this list, we recalibrate this list at the end of the year, would any of us be surprised if he drops 95 points this year? Nope. Would any of us be surprised if he's in the running, not necessarily for the Hart Trophy, but if we're talking about most valuable players in the Pacific Division, Jack Eichel might be there with Connor McDavid. It could be a 1-2 or a 1-2-3 with him and Drysaddle as well. Those three guys. So the one guy that's being slept on right now is probably Jack Eichel. So the prospects, I'm only, like, I want to see that resume built up a little bit. You know, you can't go from a high school job to be sitting as a, an accountant. You need to put in your work, Beck. Moritz Sider. He's interning right now. He's got that entry-level job. I want to see that resume built out a little bit. Uh, He's interning like our boy David. Sure. And, and, and going through the, the under-consideration list, because there's certain players in here that you would say traditionally would absolutely feature in this list. Someone like Patrice Bergeron. That's a franchise player. Someone like Anse Kopitar. Franchise player. But are they at a certain age where are they living off reputation to get into this list? You know, Bergeron was still fantastic last season. In a defensive role, more likely. But when you're when you're that good at something and you separate and you can still construct 
overall team play around someone who's so good at one thing, shouldn't we give him the benefit of the doubt that say, hey, this guy is still a franchise player? That's fair. And, you know, I think the the barriers of entry to this list, though, to sure. me, like... When I mean, we he, was, about- he was almost a point a game last year. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I Maybe, you know, a point per game is not enough, though, I guess is the point. Just that for the one year, right? Right, but he, okay, he was 65 and 73. Yeah. While it's being Catrice Bergeron on the ice defensively. Yeah. It, I'd like to see a little bit more. Let's put it that way. Let, let's put it that way. I like franchise player to me. You know, when we talk about stars, we talk about superstars. Okay, what has a higher designation? A franchise player or a superstar? Superstar, probably, right? Well, that's interesting. So I think the hierarchy is if you're a superstar, you are the top of the food chain. Like, in the NHL, if we we can decide on 15 or 18, whatever the number is, mm-hmm. of franchise players. But superstars, I go real low on that. I'm saying there's probably... So by superstars, are you looking for the definition? Because my traditional definition for superstar is, basically, are they drawing the average fan to the stadium tonight? Yes. The buzz factor, part of it is playing style and what they produce, but the other part yeah. is also the star appeal. Because, okay, so I, I think, the yeah, the, the star appeal means it's external of the NHL. It, it, it's what does it mean to the fans. And franchise player to me is internal of, can I build my roster around this player? And there's probably more of those, to your point. We, yes. You know, we've talked about this. How many how, how many players are there across the league that the average fan, I don't mean here in Vancouver, I just mean the average fan in, say, Seattle, a, an emerging market that's trying to understand where their place is in the NHL or an average fan say in uh, Columbus how many players across the league are driving them to the rink that evening it's probably six so to me it's the attributes are 50 50 where it's like best of the best coupled with all right that buzz factor because we all love Alexander Ovechkin as a player is he the same Ovi as a few years ago no he's not but he's chasing history that adds the appeal of going to watch him play. Are you going to be a part of the process of, hey, man, this guy's chasing history, and I was there when he scored that goal, or he hit you know, 40 another time. He might not be the same player. He might not have the same physical attributes. So I think it's star power slash skill on the ice, and that list to you. So you, if you come with six, I might go a little bit more. I might probably say around seven or eight. It's probably But Ovi, it's a short list. It's probably Ovi, McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, Crosby, Makar. Uh, Makar. That's about it. Yeah, because here's the thing, right? Like, you can say Nikita Kucherov is a superstar. He's a star in my books. But is he on his own? Is on his own, is he driving people to the rink? Like, is he he somebody that's saying, hey, Nikita Kucherov is in town, I'm going? Not necessarily. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean you got star. And I I love his game. Look at the point holes that he's put up. Historic stuff from Nikita Kucherov has been a a clutch player in the playoffs throughout his career, but that superstar factor, there's seven or eight guys max in this league that drive and say, oh, Kale McCarr, you see the thing that he did last night? Next time he's in Vancouver, I'm going to go watch that. Or Nathan McKinnon. Remember when he, you know, poor Chris Tanev in that, I remember that that jersey, he was wearing the black skate jersey that night, the Canucks were looking competitive, and then in overtime, Nathan McKinnon said, you know what, I'm going to end this game. Very McDavid-like. That's what drives you. So to go watch one of those games? So I'd say... I'd say eight players max superstars. Franchise players, double that. 
650 if you want to be part of the show. You can always text in. Uh, it is Bick Nazar and Randy Janda. We've got plenty coming up today. Uh, we'll pitch us by uh, Greg Wyshynski as well, who will join us uh, in about uh, 20 minutes from ESPN, uh, national NHL writer. Uh, the season, like, getting ready to go. It, it feels like we're a bit divorced from reality when it comes to the start of the season because for us in Vancouver, it's the 12th, and the NHL gets going on the yep. 11th, and... Over in Europe, right now in Prague, it's getting underway real soon here. Shouts to our boy Urf, who's in Prague right now. Yeah. That rink nice. looks amazing. I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out on his Twitter Twitter account. The roof had the uh, Tropicana Field feel to it. I didn't mind that look for a... Or I guess uh, MSG is kind of like that, MSG is like that yeah. as well. For a hockey rink, that's cool. For a baseball field, it's not because it probably the ball gets hit up there. Right? Like it, It's not a great mm-hmm. look. But I'm excited because, A, first of all, we work in the business. So, you know, this is go time for us as well mm-hmm. in our own way. But this year, there is an element of Colorado's won the cup. Tampa Bay's won the cup. You've got a couple of older teams, Washington, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. This might be the last kick of the can for some of these teams. And I think St. Louis is in a better way because they've got Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and others. They've got that younger generation trying to make that move. Washington and Pittsburgh, legitimately, we're probably looking at the final two or three years of some of these legends that play on that team. What are they this year? And Bick, looking at the West Coast, you know, obviously the local team here is going to be featuring prominently for us, and we're going to be paying attention to every single detail all year long. But the team that rolled through Abbotsford yesterday, hearing Mark Spector and Canucks talk a little bit earlier today, where he started to... to ask, I think he was asking a question about like the peak numbers that McDavid's putting up. Is that, you know, do you, do you pay attention to that? And do you wonder of how long he could keep it going? He just had a career of 123 points. So I think he'll be okay for the next little bit. (laughs) But Speck did bring up a good point about his contract. He's got three years left on that. And the man is going to make an absolute killing, whatever he makes. Time flies, huh? But legitimately, you could always ask, Mm -hmm. is that going to be in Edmonton? Like, Edmonton, we've always talked about, hey, can they take that next step? And they did last year. But one of the next three years, the biggest issue and biggest story, I think, in hockey will be, can Edmonton do it? Because the clock is taking on both of those contracts. So, like, everybody's got all of these things that we're paying attention to, we're focusing on. I think for the next three years, if Edmonton doesn't get it done, whew. Get ready. Watch out. Uh, we'll get into that with Greg Wyshynski coming up in about, uh, again, 20 minutes. Uh, he'll join us here from ESPN. Try to get some predictions from him. I think he's uh, also bullish on the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, so we'll get that from Wish in a bit. Uh, we'll do our predictions later on in the show in the 2 o'clock hour. Paul Grant will join us from Sportsnet.ca. Uh, you can follow him at Grant. We'll talk about some of the fallout that continues from Hockey Canada. So we will touch on that today. At Inverk as well will join us uh, at 1.30. Uh Something that, uh, you know, we're talking about some of the best players in the league right now. One of the best players in the NFL had some things to say about the type of football we're seeing. Now, when I was doing the show with Izzy the other day, I said, this is one of my favorite seasons we've seen so far in recent memory. There's defense. You know me. I like defense. Like, the, the, the playing field feels more fair than it's ever been in the NFL I want to say must have been a big New Jersey Devils fan back in the day, huh? No, I was still young, still okay. forming my sports opinions. You were still appreciating the offense at that point in yeah. your life. Okay. 
But in the past, what, eight years, defense has really fallen by the wayside in the NFL. They had to make improvements, of course, and you do want to make it a bit more free-flowing. But the NFL defensively has kind of fought back this year. And Tom Brady today, and what's happened is that we've gotten a lot of parody as well. And Tom Brady was kind of asked about, hey, the parody across the league right now. Do you think, Tom, in all your years, there's even more parity now? There's a lot of teams that are two and two. I think there's a lot of bad football from what I watch. You know, <laughs> I watch a lot of bad football, a lot of, yeah, poor quality of football. That's what I see. Tom Brady calling out the rest of the league. So I don't, again, I want to reiterate this. This is actually one of my favorite seasons because I think there's quality defense being played. I don't necessarily think he's wrong, though, at the same time. Because I think one thing that's been exposed now is coaching. And what leads to quality play, decision-making, who's making those decisions? Coaching. You know, we do our power rankings, and I I, I crunch them out by numbers and all that sort of stuff. I got to admit, there is a large cluster of bad teams for me. I thought it would be a bunch of average teams. But in reality, all that's really happened is it exposed a lot of bad coaching. I don't even just mean the Matt Rules of the world and Cliff Kingsbury. It like where are we at with Ron Rivera right now? Yeah, where are we at with honestly? It's like someone that was in the Super Bowl last year, Zach Taylor. That's a team that hasn't really adapted, and they keep playing the same formations. They keep doing the same things. They're improving incrementally, but when you build up enough tendencies, teams are going to key off certain formations, and they're just going to tee off on you defensively. And we've seen them have their struggles creating the same level of big plays that we saw last year. You can go through it. Like Chicago, they don't even trust their quarterback to throw and complete passes right now. So it's it's not that Tom's wrong about critiquing parity. I still think this is a a fascinating season and a fantastic season because it's a level playing field. However, what's what's getting exposed is coaching at this level. Okay, so what comes first here? Is it the the coaching or is it the fact that there is such a large middle class in the NFL where you're essentially saying those coaching decisions matter that much more because because of that parity, right? To me, it's not necessarily... The fact is, there's a lot of two and two teams. There's a lot of one and three teams. The difference between a three and one team and a one and three team is not all that much. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Coaching does make a difference. But I think that does speak to the fact that you've got a bunch of teams that are kind of just kind of stuck in that middle class. And in the past, when they you had better teams, maybe you had a higher end where there's two or three teams that are head and shoulders above everybody, and they get a lot of the primetime games. They get the headlines. Remember Thursday nights, though? And, Vic, we joke about this. The games on Thursday nights were brutal. Do you want to go back to that time where you're saying, hey, one of those primetime games a week is going to be absolute BS? I would rather watch it this way. A, for one thing, you're watching – you might not be watching a dynasty in front of you. The high end is not quite there in the NFL. But are you watching competitive matchups? Yes. Is there drama? Nathaniel Hackett screwing up is drama. We were talking about it for a full week after that. It is still entertaining. Tom Brady can be frustrated because the teams he's playing against, his own team is not that great right now. But I think as a fan, it's engaging. It gives you talking points. If you're at work and you have a water cooler discussion about the NFL, it's probably because a coach, a player, a team provided an upset or a questionable decision. And most importantly, if you're the NFL, you know what this does? 
this keeps a lot of teams in it. Right. If you're a three and one team like the Giants right now, all of New York is buzzing. I know, you know, everybody knows they're not going to amount to anything. We know this. By the way, the New York Giants have a plus five point differential. Exactly. The they're... Miami Dolphins have a plus seven point differential. Hey. It's less I, than a field I'm goal difference. Number five in my rankings. All right. Just, I stick just by a, it. less than a field goal difference. All, but my point being, though, and that the Dolphins are an example of this as well, where the middle class is so large that fans love this because their team is in it. It gives them meaningful games. I think Roger Goodell is not laughing his way to the bank. So Tom Brady can think whatever he wants. The fact is, people are engaged. And those bad coaching decisions, people love them. Because guess what? We react to it. And, and I get it. Maybe Tom Brady doesn't. But remember back in the day when those 30, Thursday nighters would come on TV and we'd say, oh, man, I can't believe I'm watching these two teams. It's still better entertainment value. The Colts versus the Broncos is still better than some of the stuff we saw in the past. Uh, we'll do our people's picks later on in the show as well. Pr- uh, presentation of BCLC. But I think you can look at it this, uh, this way. Um, the one in three Detroit Lions are a minus one point differential so far. Because you're talking about parity and how close everything is. But the two and two Tennessee Titans are minus 26. It's it's wild. Looking at point differentials mm-hmm. in the NFL this year is a wild exercise. Yeah, the, it is, man. The Jets have a better record than the Detroit Lions, but are also minus 25 in point differential. So you're getting parity, but to Tom's point, are you getting quality play? And I, I think offenses are, are getting exposed. And when you go through this exercise of getting every head coach become your offensive play caller, you see situational football. Like That to me is the biggest thing that's happened. A, the, the defense, obviously, but how coaches are managing situational football, red zone right now. And mm-hmm. that's something where Tom Brady, from the perspective of Tom Brady, where do you thrive? Red zone and situational football, two-minute drill, all the stuff that from Tom Brady's perspective, because it's not a normal perspective. He's sure. he's won multiple, multiple Super Bowls. standard is extremely high. Yes. But if you're ever watching across the league and seeing Denver going through their two-minute drill hiccups, you're watching a litany of teams, you know, someone like the Jets, and, and they've had their struggles at quarterback play. I, I think it's fair to say, hey, situational football right now is the thing that's separating a lot of teams. And that's, you know... I look back at the past and say, okay, fair comment to say you'd have more better teams in the NFL maybe five years ago. Your middle class would be a lot smaller, but you'd have a lot more bad teams. Like the middle ground, the middle ground would be limited, right? We were doing our power ranks. Be honest here, okay? Second tier in the NFC is not even there. Be honest. How tough was it to put Miami fifth? It feels like there's a case, like, if we we A lot of teams like, have a case right now. It feels like we define the first four so easily. Yeah. But it was the fifth team. You could make an argument. Like, I, I disagree with you, but yeah. you can make a valid argument Miami sure being fifth. But, like... I struggled putting the Ravens five because there's a huge difference between the top three, the Packers, we both had a four, yeah. and then the rest. And I think that speaks to the idea that the, the while the overall play for me, is very interesting and fascinating and exciting, but the, the the depth of quality across the league right now might be a bit lower. And that's fair, but I guess the question I have is, as a fan, because we know where Tom Brady stands. You know, you mentioned it, the GOAT, he's got a standard of, I've been on some of the greatest teams that the league has produced, and I'm not impressed by not only my team, but everybody else out there. But as a fan, what do you prefer? And I don't mind the large middle class. Like, I'm a fan of parody. 
I've liked what the NHL has done with the salary cap, having more parity. Like you still have to be a smart executive. You still have to be a smart team to excel, but providing a little parity, I've always seen that as a positive. The quality of football, yeah, you don't have a potential dynasty. And that's that stinks, but there could be one coming down the road. You just have to be that much smarter. Where I don't mind the larger middle class as a fan. I, I find the the talking points a little bit more interesting and the storylines interesting. Whereas, yeah, do I want to see a shootout between, you know, a Kansas City Kansas City Chiefs team, an elite team like that versus name the Rams, whoever? Of course I do. I want to see greatness, but at the same time, I want to be I want to be invested in every single matchup. And I find with this bigger middle class, as a fan, I'm more invested every single Sunday. I'm not taking, you know, games off. Where in the past, Vic, when teams are really, really, really bad, you're like, I'm not watching that game, not watching that game. That Thursday nighter, oh no, I'm not watching that one either. I'm just more invested now. Uh, we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski on the other side. Vic Nazar and Randy Janda here on The People's Show. We'll keep the show moving along. Uh, we'll talk to him from NHL covering the NHL on ESPN, uh, getting some predictions, uh, what he thinks the start of the season might look like for the Vancouver Canucks as well, uh, and how important that is going to be as they uh, try to evolve from that 57-game sample size under Bruce Boudreaux last season. All right, final thought on parity here. Rager coming in, 650-650. Bick just wants the league to be easier to predict because the future of Big Six depends on it. 59.1%, I think, For, for so this far. week, for this week. No, for the year. 59.1%. No, no, 59. You're at 59 sure. for this week. We'll see what happens next week. Again, uh, a big week five, uh, and I'll be ready to declare that it's back. Okay. I'll be ready. To, again, I'll feel very confident with a big week five. And I'm talking like four and two kind of thing, not three, two, and one like I was last week. But a big week five, I, I'm prepared to say it'll be a big season and big six will exist. By the way, programming note, we're not on tomorrow. Uh, so I'll release Big Six, I guess, on Twitter. All right. For that accountability that Izzy was talking about yesterday, but I will still post it. All right. You're not gonna you're not gonna bring it up like on the weekend and say, "Hey, I had this, and this is no, after that's... the fact." You're not cheating the system, is no. the point. No. The the reason I explained this yesterday. The reason I post on Twitter is for accountability. All not, right. Not just we appreciate yeah. that, and we'll hold you accountable. Yeah. All right. Back in a minute here on the People Show. Welcome back to the show, Vic Nazar and Randy Janda coming to you live from the Kintech backup studio. We have to make a, uh, a hustle down the hall. Which is a short haul, but we hustled. Yeah, we sprinted. This is the most physical exertion we're getting over the oh, next yeah. hour we're, or two. We're, we're washed. This is—it's literally only as far as we can go. Oh yeah, that—that that we could recover from the run, do the heavy breathing in the break, and still sound okay. Once we have to go back on air, <laughs> that sounds very depressing. But it's true. Fifteen very more true. meters. I would have need another commercial break. Here. No, we would have needed a fill-in guest. Yeah, our guest host <laughs> for both of us. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we are coming to you live from the Kintech. Studio, Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, making some moves today. Uh, Adnan Verk will join us in just a moment from MLB Network, NHL Network. Uh, he will join us in just a second as we get ready for uh, Mariners Chase tomorrow 
on these airwaves, by the way, at 1 o'clock, so no people show tomorrow. So a couple of things that we do normally on Friday, we'll do today. Uh, Confession Friday is coming up at 2.30 today. Before we get that, though, we got to tie up some turf trivia. All right. Turf trivia. Elias Pettersson has scored 32 power play goals since he joined the Canucks in 2017-2018. Only one Canuck has scored more power play goals during that time. Who is it, was the question. The correct answer. Bo Horvat, 39. And we do have two winners for Turf Trivia today. First up, Malcolm in Vancouver and Jimmy in New West. So congratulations. A lot of right answers. A lot of people coming in with JT Miller as well. JT Miller has the most power play points. We want time. goals. Who's turning the red light on? It's Bo in the bumper spot has been scoring a lot of goals, 39 goals. Elias Pettersson at number two on that list with 32. Congratulations to Malcolm and Jimmy. But the important thing is, is where is the belt residing? Uh, I'm going to just spin a wheel right here. Uh, just digitally, so you can't hear the wheel. Yeah, the price is right. The big wheel. Yeah. Which, by the way, of all the cool, like, Things I'd, I'd like bucket list. Spinning the price is right, right wheel is kind of up there for me. That well, not up there, but it's 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 on the list. I okay, that. that and I'd like to play Family Feud one day. Oh like, yeah, that's a good one. I got to hit up my boy Jerry D and get on that show somehow. It's yeah. it's a staple in the Janda household. My dad is a huge fan of Family Feud. Okay, let's assume. Okay, we have a six fifty. By the way, Vancouver is the big winner of turf trivia. Okay, shouts to Vancouver. So it's crossing over the Knight Street Bridge. Yeah. Okay, let's assume we have a 50, uh, 650 Family Feud team here, right? Okay. The, the on-air staff. Who are you trusting in fast money? Who, and, does, who doesn't crumble under pressure? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, man. I've played a lot of Family Feud. You're putting I, yourself I feel, in the I list? feel okay. Oh, if it's not me, I feel like you'd be good at it. I, I think I'd be spectacular at it. I feel like you'd be good at it. I feel like... You know, hmm. weirdly, I might take Dan Riccio. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that with Reach. That's probably the... If I can't pick myself, because yes, I'm yeah. pointing at myself here. How I'm, about you I'd, and I can't pick each other? I'd pick that? you and Dan. I'd be okay with that. Jamie Dodd, too? Yeah, Jamie's got worldly experience. He's yeah. a lawyer. He's been in high-pressure situations. Yeah. I, I think Jamie Dodd and and Dan Riccio might be, might be my fast money family feud team. Okay. Uh... Let's talk to Adnan Verk. Uh, <laughs> if, if I could pick anybody, it'd probably yeah. Adnan. Yeah. Actually, to be fair, yeah, I absolutely would, would take Adnan for my Fast Money team. Adnan, Family Feud, you big Family Feud guy? Uh, absolutely. I'm touched that both of you guys would include me in your family. I put you on mine. Everyone would think we're cousins. It would work out. It'd be okay. Uh, I used to love it back in the day. Ray Combs and, of course, Louis Anderson, who I loved. And Lake, both those guys actually have passed on. Richard Dawson back in the day. Family Feud, great. Uh, my favorite part is when they started clapping. Like, you give an answer, you'd say, okay, Bubba Shad. Go, Bubba right. Shad, but they all start clapping again. Like, good answer, good answer. Just, yes, good answer, good answer. Like, no matter what, it could be a horrific answer. Oh, yeah. Like, what's something everyone puts on their pizza? And you go, anchovies, anchovies, good, good, good. I, anchovies, I, good answer. Like, what? I, I, I would never be able to be that person. They'd be like, are you kidding me? We're competing for dollars here. And you said anchovies? Yeah. You're right. And that's what I liked about that is that it would really isolate the weak link. Like, he'd watch the family and go, okay, dad's pretty good, but that daughter's horrific. If it's up to her, she's screwed. <laughs> and that, that's what I like about it. It's like sports. You go, that's the Achilles heel. A family feud, you knew if that person's the problem, they're not going to win. 
650-650, people are texting in uh, th- their version of who we, who we think uh, would be in the fast money round <laughs> to keep the thoughts going in. Some great uh, answers, to, by the way. To, yeah, uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. So, uh, we went through 162. We're here now. We finally made it. Uh, it. It is playoff time. And the big one here, Jays Mariners. It, it kind of is, you know, we, t- we talked about dream playoff matchups. And I, I'm always of the opinion, even though you can – Put this and say, hey, it would have been great to see them in the 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 ALDS or the the, the ALCS. But but for me, it's always just like the the cool matchups. Let's just see them. Who cares if it's in the quarterfinals, semifinals, whatever it is? I just want to see the cool matchups. And this to me has so much appeal, Jay's marriages, especially for us here in BC. Without question, I mean, you guys can appreciate because you're so close to Seattle. But of course, Toronto is Canada's team, and it's amazing to think about for Toronto first home playoff game since 2016. ALCS Game 4. We know how Rogerson was rocking just a few short six years ago. This year, they, missed, they finished with 92 wins. That's one more than they had last year. And last year, they missed the postseason by a single win. So for all of us who thought, okay, the Jays the team to beat, well, no. They based with the team a year ago. One more win, but the wild card helps them naturally. And, yes, they were the best of the wild card teams. But it's interesting how the season has unfolded. And for Seattle, as you mentioned, Vic, long time coming, 5,273 days. Aaron Seeley and the Mariners lost Game 5 of the 0-1 ALCS, Old Yankee Stadium against Andy Pettit. Mark McLemore, the ninth inning single, the last Mariners postseason hit today. So good for the great people of Seattle to finally get back in the dance. And, I mean, just if you're looking at star power, Manoa, 15 consecutive scoreless innings coming in. 4-0, ERA. That's how he finished the regular season. And, of course, J-Rod, 21 years, 282 days of age. Youngest Mariners player to start a postseason game. A 20-year-old Alex Rodriguez pinched ran and pinched it back in 1995. But the stars are going to be out. I hope this series goes through. Well, Adnan, we've got, like, you know, media members quarreling on Twitter saying, hey, this is Mariners town. This is a Toronto Blue Jays town. You've got, you know, baseball fans kind of eyeing each other in the streets when one's got a Mariners hat on, the other one's got a Blue Jays one. Let me ask you this question, though, because I don't want to get into that conversation. We had that yesterday. Who has the better chance of beating the Astros out of these two teams? You know, that's a tricky one. I think it's Toronto just because their offense is better. And for the Astros, their pitching is outstanding. They're the best ERA in the American League. And I, I don't look at it as, oh, you're going to hang with their pitching. I'm like, well, you've got you to beat their pitching. You've got to have the better offense. And that's where my concern is for Seattle. I just don't think their offense is good enough. I think it's J-Rod and a bunch of other guys, whether it's Ty France or a healthy Eugenio Suarez. or you know, They're picking and popping all over the place. Jesse Winker's on the IL. Kellnick's going to be the primary left fielder. Whereas when I look at the Jays' offense, they average 4.8 runs per game. That's fourth in Major League Baseball. Dodgers, Yankees, Braves, then Jays. So obviously you want balance with your team. But more often than not, if you get to the postseason, the pitching is going to be there. The problem is the offense. It's October. It's cold. It's windy. It's rainy. You're in Cleveland. You're like, oh, my God, how are they going to get a hit tonight? So I trust those teams that can actually hit. So I'm picking the Jays to beat the Mariners because the offense I think the Jays have a better chance against Houston. I don't think they beat them, but a better chance because they're offense. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. You know, we, we get into this debate sometimes in in hockey. It's like, oh, the game changes in the playoffs. Uh, do you feel that way about the MLB playoffs at all? Not really. I think it's something that people say who haven't watched a lot of baseball the regular season. So people who have like not watched a lot, they go, "Wow, the game changes." It's tough to get a hit. And I'm like, well, yeah, like the batting average this year is like 238. <laughs> Nobody hits. Like, oh, man, this is like the, 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 the relievers are unbelievable. All these guys throw 100. I'm like, yeah, 
it's been like that for like three years. So, so I, I think in hockey it's different. Like in terms of you know they swallow the whistles and mm-hmm. you know maybe there's physical play that you're getting away with, but obviously no fighting because nobody fights in the playoffs. With baseball, I'm like, no, it's the same game. If anything, it gets drawn out a little more. I find there's more time in between pitches. You know, there, there's definitely on record more commercial breaks that Fox is taking and the TBS will take. So the games are absolutely going to be longer. So that's what I always notice. I'm like, some of these games. They don't fly. In the regular season, you can go like, yeah, 245, maybe three hours. You feel the three and a half come playoff time, but you don't mind it because it's the playoffs, and every pitch matters so much. So if, you know, you Darvish is taking 30 seconds between pitches, if Bo Bichette's getting a big exhale in between pitches, you go, okay, it's all right. Because every game, every pitch matters so much. And what I love about that is that, you know, this time of the year, and you might be into your own team, you might watch every single one of those games, but this time of the year, the bullpen matters so much. And it, we often hear about, all right, what's the best bullpen in the playoffs? Which relievers will we know on a nightly basis and who can you rely on? If you had to pick one of the bullpens right now, the best bullpen in baseball, Adnan, and heading into the playoffs, which one of these teams has it? Well, it's interesting because I always look at the closers first, Randy. So, like, I look at the Mets and I go, God, nobody's better than Edwin Diaz. Like, I just love Timmy Trumpet. And the fact he comes out, then you feel like it's game over. But then I look at Cleveland, I think Emmanuel Class A, he had 37 saves. Like, him... And Liam Hendricks at the most in the American League. Only our man Jordan Romano is one behind, so they feel pretty good to me. But then ultimately, if I have to look at the numbers, you know, I think the Cardinals' bullpen feels pretty good, especially when you look at the Phillies' bullpen, which is a real weakness for them. So when I look at St. Louis, I say to myself, okay, add up to some of the parts. This is a team that's going to be pretty strong because of the fact that the starters are pretty good. Quintana starts game one. You know, Wainwright will play at some point. Miles Michaelis. The Cardinals' bullpen, especially when juxtaposed, against Philadelphia's bullpen could be really important in that series. Talking to Adnan Verk from MLB and NHL Network. Uh, you know, the, the the Cardinals have been such a focus for, for a lot of people because of Albert Pujols, and, and he's making this run. And by the way, like, I, I thought it would be, you know, he, he would scrape to the, the finish line of 700, but he, he went and surpassed that. That was unbelievable. Um, are, are they the feel-good story of the postseason of, of the teams that people are going to attach themselves to a team? Like, who do you feel like is the plucky underdog here? That's interesting. I mean, there's definitely a sentimental aspect back to the Cardinals. Pujols has played 86 career postseason games. He's a 321 hitter in the playoffs. It's just awesome. 426 on base, 581 slug. That's an OPS over 1,000. He's tied for fifth all-time at home run, seventh in RBI. All-time great postseason player. Yadi Molina, sixth in the all-time postseason games list. All for four wildcard game loss last year, whatever. But St. Louis, you've got those legends moving on in Pujols and Molina. you got two MVP candidates in Arenado and Goldschmidt, and then you've got these young players as well that come along. But it's St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I think aside from St. Louis, not a lot of people like St. Louis. Yeah. It's just my time in the game, but I always found with baseball fans, like, oh, God, damn Cardinals. Like, they're not as despised as the Yankees, maybe not as disliked as the Dodgers, but no one likes the Cardinals. Like, no, they get tired of, oh, we got the best fans in baseball, Cardinal way, blah, blah, blah. So it can't be them, despite the fact they do have those good stories. Yeah, probably so fucking like underdog is not the right term, but maybe like sentimental favorite or something like that. Yeah, I would go with that. Like, it's definitely not underdog because it was like, oh, God, the Cardinals yeah. the second most World Series in baseball history. So, like, no one's going to feel like they're an underdog. And by the way, I can see them making the playoffs. To me, underdog is like the Rays, especially this year. You know, the Rays have reached the postseason eight of the last 15 seasons. The only teams that have more playoff appearances in that span, Dodgers with 12, Yankees with 11, Cardinals with 10. But those are your big pop. Those are three of the most historic, biggest fan bases in baseball. And then there's the Rays. 
bottom five payroll in 14 of those 15 seasons. As long as the Rays are involved, they're the underdog. You know, Cleveland in some ways is an underdog. They don't get enough love, but Cleveland's a really good team. Like, I can see Cleveland getting the World Series. Even though everyone says, ah, it's essential, who cares? But, ah, Cleveland's good, man. Their pitching's awesome. They got Frank Tona, Ramirez, Stephen Kwan, uh, Jimenez is outstanding defensively. Like, they got some good stories. But if you want an underdog, I think it's the Rays. If you want to feel good along with the Cardinals, maybe it's the Mariners. Yeah. Only because it's been 21 years ago. God, they've waited so long. The one that I always feel for is the Padres. Because to me, I'm like, the Padres, all-time great city, and I think a great baseball town, but it's their first appearance in the playoffs, non-shortened year since 06. So I don't really count 2020. They were in the playoffs. Okay, whatever. But it's been 06. Like, that's a pretty long time since the Padres have been in the playoffs. And how about this? They've only won three postseason games since they made the World Series in 98. So I think if you're feel-good stories, you're going to raise, if you're just because the payroll, but I think Mariners because the drought and the Padres because they've got talent. They just haven't done it. Three wins in the playoffs since 98? Let's go San Diego. Can't be the race for me. All, all the all the fallout from from the the last World Series appearance and Snell and all that sort of stuff. I just feel like that that the public discourse on the Rays it has has not dissipated from where it was once. No, that's probably true. I think with the Rays, it's you know you look at them and go, I don't know how they do it. I think that's always the common expression. Go, I don't know how they do it. Like you look at that team, and you go, these guys aren't that good. There's no way this team should have 86 wins and be in the playoffs, especially this year. Like we're used to the Rays teams of 90, 95, 100 wins. This year, 86 wins, and yet they still made the playoffs. That's just like the, the fact that a litany of injuries. And it's their pitching that really is strong, and, and they're calling card as usual. But in the past, it's always been their bullpen and one or two good starters. This year, it's their starters who are really good, and they've got relievers as well. But the starters stand out. If McClanahan can be right, McClanahan was not as good in the second half. First half, 1.71 ERA. Second half, almost triple that, 4.20 ERA. That was after he started the All-Star game. Well, Lasterson is great, and God, Glasnow stuff is amazing. I'm sure you guys know about Pitching Ninja. We just had him on our Twitter show, and I mm-hmm. asked him, who's got the filthiest stuff? And he goes, oh, Tony Glasnow. Like, he's been gone all year. He comes back. The break of his pitches, remarkable. All right, so I'm biased on this. I think the best-case scenario for the World Series would be the Subway Series, but I am biased. I fully admit my bias. What is the best-case scenario matchup for you? Well, it's Yankees-Dodgers. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the big markets, and you've got the two biggest cities in America, two epic fan bases. They've had great World Series in the past. I mean, my boy Booney gets back in the World Series. Yankees, I mean, the answer is always Yankees, Randy. It's like, it's like your team. It's like in football, the answer is the Cowboys. Like, yeah, there's other great stories. Like if, you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers made the Super Bowl again. But the Cowboys, you can't, America's team, the Cowboys are always going to rate. The Steelers are always going to rate. You know, basketball, the Lakers are always going to rate. In hockey, the Habs and the Leafs are always going to rate. Rangers in America are the Bruins. So for me, I'm like, well, the Yankees is your first answer. If the Yankees are in, that's always the best-case scenario. They're the most popular team. they got 27 World Series. We got that out of the way, especially when compared to the other teams. We love the Jays, but nobody in America wants to see Toronto in the World Series. Seattle, relatively small Pacific Northwest. I mean, I get it. I, I, it's where you guys are, but I'm like, nobody's clamoring to see Seattle on a national level. Astros, everyone's tired. Like, again? Dusty Baker, here we go. Jose Alto, okay, Bregman, uh, Rays, no, too small a fan base. In Cleveland, I mean, there's so many people who love Cleveland unless you're in Cleveland. So no-brainer American League is Yankees by a mile. And the National League, Braves just won last year, kind of tired of them, but they're awesome. I'm with you that Subway Series is still cool, although my friend Tom Verducci tells me when Fox had the Subway Series, it was not rated particularly well, which may just go to the fact that people don't like New York if you're not in New York. But, of course, I'm here in the Tri-State area. But the Dodgers is the one. I mean, they're, they're the big, bad bullies in the block. They've won the most games. You've got so much history. 
You could just imagine all the classic people that would be showing at both of those teams. Yankees-Dodgers would be epic. And sometimes I try to put the hex on these things. Like a year ago, I said Yankees-Dodgers would be epic. That means it'll be Brewers-Rays. I purposely put the hex, and of course the Brewers and Rays both got knocked down in the first round. And Atlanta, I don't think it was great for the sport, but they hadn't won in a while. I had one since 95. Good story. But I have similar thinking to you, Randy. Big markets, Subway Series or Yankees-Dodgers. We, we've talked about it a bit already with the with the Astros and and look they were they were in the World Series already but you got to imagine secretly Major League Baseball is like maybe we're not ready yet, just yet for the Astros to win after the whole cheating thing. Yeah, I think there was an element of that, especially the strong right afterwards, right? Because oh my God, the Astros cheated in the World Series. Yeah, I don't want to see them have any success. Haven't heard as much of that this year. Now, I'm sure that drumbeat will get going come playoff time. Like, once the Astros are in the LDS, you will, you know, hear that familiar refrain. But I just feel like that enmity and vitriol isn't as high as it was before. Which, I guess, is like all things, right? You don't have as much stake. Yeah. You're not as furious a couple of years later. Or, or, or maybe the inverse is true here. That, like, hey, if they win again, the true villain will emerge again. And we know, like, hate drives viewership. And if, if they were to win again, like, maybe that's good for Major League Baseball. Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, the best ALCS, again, is Yankees-Astros, no question. Like, you want to see that rematch in 2017, and I think either way, you probably come out a winner. Like you said, either it's Darth Vader winning, and the Empire, you know, I know that the Yankees once called the Evil Empire, but in this case, the Astros are the Evil Empire, and the Yankees would be the feel-good Luke Skywalker. So either the Astros win, villains win again, or the Yankees, you know, stick it for everybody else and stick it to the Astros. But I'm with you. You need to have, you need to have a team wearing the black hat. Maybe it'll be Houston. But it's not, there's not as much rage. There's not many guys there. Like, it's only like four guys, I think, from that team, namely Altuve and Bregman. So it just feels different because now it's Jordan Alvarez's team and, you know, Verlander's team and uh, Correa's no longer there. But yeah, I mean, if Houston's there, it definitely gives you an easy team to root against. Uh, just really quickly, you got a prediction? Yeah, you know, I just did a Twitter show where I asked eight different people their predictions. And I thought to myself, I haven't actually even thought of my own prediction. So I will <laughs> go with. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with Subway Series. What the hell? I'll go with Randy. Let's go. I to go the ones I, I, yeah, I want to see Yankees-Dodgers, but I would love Subway Series. I mean, here, I live here in Jersey. I could go to every game of the World Series. It'd be awesome. I'm going with Subway Series. So, yeah, no ulterior motives in that pick at all whatsoever. Hey, we, we admit our bias here, all right? <laughs> We're honest. Yeah, this is purely based on locale. I can actually <laughs> go to the World Series if I'm here. I would love that. That'd be great. Uh, hey, actually, before we let you go, um, what's on the, uh, the movie menu for you this, uh, for you this week? So this is what is always tricky because October is my favorite month to be as a sports fan, yeah. as I'm sure it is for you guys. Maybe April. I know April is great because of hockey playoffs and NBA playoffs. But I think it's October, no doubt about it, because you've got baseball playoffs. You've got hockey starting. You've got NFL, and you get basketball now starting October 18th. To me, it's absolute heaven. So it's tough to kind of squeeze in the movies, but, of course, I am devoted to Cinephile. And October, you start to get some good movies, as you guys know. The best movies are always October, November, December. So I looked at the schedule, and I think I'm going to squeeze in Amsterdam either Friday night or Saturday night, the new David O. Russell film it is not getting good reviews despite an insanely good cast. Oh, no. Including my man De Niro. Yeah, John David Washington, Christian Bell, Margot Robbie, et cetera. So uh, I did see Blonde on Netflix, and it was really disappointing. Uh, a lot of nudity of Anna Diarmas, if you're into that. She's playing Marilyn Monroe. But I mean, it's just a bludgeoning. I mean, the entire film is just her being abused physically and emotionally. And after two hours and 46 minutes, uh, it was not an experience I enjoyed. Currently Sorry, that Netflix, movie is two hours and 46 minutes? Yeah. Andrew I'm out Bonner's already. Good director. He did, yeah, he did Killing Me Softly, which I really like. Brad Pitt gangster movie. James Gandolfini, of course, me and Randy Love. He was good in that movie. Uh, Richard Jenkins is in that movie. 
pretty good flick. The 246 pick on Marilyn Monroe, and there's no light at all. There's no cheerfulness. There's, like, no fun. Like, you don't see some like it hot being made and her and Jack Lemmon and um, <clears throat> Tony Curtis having a laugh. No, it's just like Mary Jo DiMaggio, he beat her. Arthur Miller, vacant husband, mistreated by her wife, abused, et cetera. I'm like, you know, some elements of this are absolutely true, but to have to sit through an entire film like that, nothing about it was rewarding. Currently on Netflix, but I would skip Blonde. What's your ideal movie length? Mine's uh, 97 minutes. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I like the specificity of that. I would probably just go with two hours, good round number, but I'm with you that a little less goes a long way. I mean, if you give me hour 50, hour 45, it's interesting. For a guy who adores Scorsese as much as I do, when I look at his best films, I think it generally is the shorter ones. Like Marty's, he definitely likes breaking the bank here with our three-hour Wolf of Wall Streets. The Taxi Driver was a tidy hour 50. Raging Bull is two hours and six minutes. Uh, Mean Streets is under two hours. Goodfellas is 2.25, but it's moving the whole time. It feels like it's an hour 45. So I, I'm with you. It's, it's definitely under two hours. 97 minutes, a much better pick than, you know, 137 minutes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Appreciate it, man. We'll uh, talk next week. Thanks for answering the phone. I hear uh, Randeep is moving on, so I just want to say good luck to my guy. Hopefully we will talk at some point. It was emotional when I lost Sat. Now I'm losing Randeep. So <laughs> best of luck, brother. I hope we keep in touch. And, uh, Thanks, I still have Beck to talk to every week. Absolutely. Thanks, Adnan, and I won't be too far away. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep in touch. Don't worry, I'll hit up a Yankees game. We'll, we'll meet up soon. <laughs> okay, I hope so, and I'll show you where the bottom being, which is still in existence and still working. All right, all right. I, I've been there once, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it's Confession Thursday from Randy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It, it is. is. Today. <laughs> There's my confession. Thanks, Adnan. All right, thanks, boys. Be well. Sakai Adnan Verk joining us here on The People's show uh yeah we haven't talked about it that's right uh this is, this is the final people show for me yeah it's uh doing the game tomorrow and then yeah just there's no people show tomorrow um, oh that's right yeah exactly not that you were scheduled anyways no but uh, it is going to be the final one mm-hmm. for uh for now and next week the new schedule Bick is going to be rocking away at the people show and as, as someone texted me uh it's a person's show now yes what, I'm chopped liver? <laughs> hey, look, that's what I said to them, but no, no. someone texted me saying it was, it, it's the person's show now. It will always be the people's show because you got the backing of the people. And that's the most important part of the people's show, right? So one person mm-hmm. guiding the ship, but you got you got thousands upon thousands behind you, Bic. Absolutely. In the uh, 650, 650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, uh, We'll get into it more once we get to uh, Confession Fridays right. at 2.30. That's on the way. We'll do the people's picks uh, coming up as well in about uh, 30 minutes. Uh, don't at me. Uh, but on the other side, uh, we'll talk to Paul Grant from Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca. Uh, the fallout continues for Hockey Canada, and now it is a major financial fallout. Uh, sponsors falling by the wayside, uh, denouncing their support of Hockey Canada and a crisis in leadership, essentially, and a lack of faith in leadership. It's the next step in in all of these. Uh, what happens with the money, basically? We will follow up on the story with Paul Grant, who will join us next here on The People Show.